0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. The title of today's message is called The Most Important Virtue of Life. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 15. And I just want to say, too, a special thank you to Devin. He was one of the guys standing up here on stage. He's our operations manager, and uh, he has been here for a long time. Like, I think it's been seven days he's been here trying to work on this unit, try to figure out different solutions to cool this place down, has been meeting with trains. So, can we give it up for Devin? Uh, He has worked very hard for us. And also, let's give it up for Chloe, his wife, because she's also sacrificed a lot as well because he's been here quite a bit. So I'm super thankful for them as well. But uh, today we're talking about uh, the most important virtue of life. And what that is, is that is integrity. Because we live in a world that is more shocked by someone who, ha- who, does, who has integrity than someone who doesn't have integrity. I'll even illustrate this story. I read an article this week uh, back in 2005. I don't know if we have tennis fans in the house today, but um, there's a guy named Andy Roddick, and he was like the Michael Jordan of tennis. Like, he was the best of the best. He was supposed to win a lot of tournaments, win the championship. Like, he was expected to just walk over everybody. And so he is um, doing this uh, tournament in Italy, and he's facing this guy named Fernando Verdasco of Spain. Now, As expected, Andy Roddick is dominating this match. He has no hope of winning. And then something strange happened in this match. Andy Roddick could not return one of Verdasco's serves. And so the umpire, the linesman, he says, it's out. He awards the point to Andy. And so the crowd cheers. They're like, he won. Fernando Verdasco runs up to shake hands at the net to congratulate him on his win. But Andy knew something that nobody else knew. And he was going to do something that no one else expected. He went up to the linesman and the umpire. And he said, no, the ball wasn't out. The ball was actually in. And I'll prove it to you where the ball hit in the clay. And so after looking at it and reviewing it, they, they reversed the call and they awarded the point to Fernando Verdasco. And so uh, giving the second chance, the second opportunity, he didn't want to squander it. And so what he did was he went on to win the game, the set, and the match. He had the victory. He had this giant upset. Andy Roddick's honesty cost him tens of thousands of dollars, but clearly to him, his integrity meant a whole lot more to him than his than winning money or winning this tournament. See, he lost a tennis match that day, but what he gained was so much more valuable. He gained his integrity. See, I think it's sad when most of us are shocked when someone does the right thing Like the umpires were shocked, the linesmen were shocked, I think even the crowd was shocked that day. I think a lot of us are more shocked when someone does the right thing than when they don't do the right thing. But why is that? Because we could turn on the news and we can see many headlines of people who lack integrity. We turn on the news and we see a celebrity or an athlete who is doing really well and we go, man, they have values and they're living this way and there's something that we look up to and we could say, man, I could model my life after them. But then what happens? It comes out, they're living another lifestyle and we're shocked by it. Or it's a politician who says he has certain values or certain morals or he's making campaign promises and he says all these things and then when he's elected, he doesn't keep those promises and we realize he doesn't share the same values that he said he shared. But it's not just the secular world, it's also in our church culture too. We have Christian leaders and pastors who preach about purity and who teach about honesty and truth, but what's happening? They're living a double life. They're having an affair on the side or they're mismanaging God's money. But it's not just people who are in the public eye either, it's also our close friends. We have friends who say they have certain values or that they'll always be there for us. And then when things get tough, we find out they're not really there for us, or we find out some shady things about them, and they're living this double lifestyle. It always breaks my heart when I hear about people who failed in this area of integrity. See, when we fail, when we blow it, we hurt our families, we hurt the people we lead, and we also uh, drive those away who are watching with skepticism. But more importantly, we also grieve the Lord. But what is integrity? Integrity. Because we could easily confuse integrity with our reputation. Reputation is who you think, who other people think you are. Integrity, or the lack of integrity, is who you really are. I've heard uh, d- integrity defined this way: it's when your behavior matches your beliefs. It's when your private life equals your public life. In fact, it can be said that integrity is what you do when no one else is looking. And so Psalm 15 is this picture of integrity. And just these five simple verses, I think it really captures what a life of integrity looks like. So look, at me, uh, look with me at verse 1. It says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Verse five, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. See, Psalm 15 is really divided into three easy sections. It starts off with David asking a big question. And really, he asks it in two different ways in verse 1. But then he goes from the question to the answer. And then he supports his answer, really, verses 3 through 5. It's a person of integrity. And then, at verse 5, the very last sentence of verse 5, there's a promise from God for those who apply this, this idea, this principle of integrity. So let's look, what is the question that he starts with? What is this big question that he's asking? He says, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Now, a person reading this at this time, they would read this phrase or they would hear these words and they would connect this because this was something very specific to them. There was an association between the tent of the Lord and the presence of the Lord. There's, there, was a, there was something, the tent and the holy hill speak of a place where God would meet with his people. Now we have to read this contextually because we're on this side of the cross. We know that you don't have to go to a place to actually meet with God. That if you are a believer here today, God is with you wherever you go. Now is God here in our presence right now? Yes, but he's also with us when we leave when we go to the parking lot, when you go out to eat later, when you uh, go to work tomorrow, if you are a believer, God is with you wherever you go. But David is asking this question. He's like, who can walk closely with God? Who can be in the presence of God? Who can hang out with God? And he answers it by saying in verse two, he who walks blamelessly. Now that word blamelessly can be translated to mean integrity. Don't get it confused. Blamelessly does not mean perfection. Blamelessly, there is translated integrity. That word integrity is a powerful word and it means complete, it means sameness, it means without blemish. And there's a powerful picture in the Old Testament to communicate what integrity means. And it's when it comes to burnt offerings. See, burnt offerings were uh, God's physical way to teach him a spiritual lesson. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so uh, there's a picture in the Old Testament to communicate what integrity means, and that is through burnt offerings. And so what would happen is the Israelites, when they realized that they sinned and they wanted to atone, make right for these sins, they would go to their their flock, find their prize-winning ram, and they would go and they would look around that ram, they would feel all around that ram, and if that ram did not have a blemish, they would then take it to the priest. And then the priest would do the same thing. He would inspect that ram, look all around that ram, feel around and if he found that ram to have integrity, then what they would do is open up that ram and look on the inside of it. Make sure it didn't have a blemish on the inside. And if everything was right, if the, if the ram did not have any kind of blemish, then the priest would say that ram had integrity. So that's what it means when it talks about integrity. There's a sameness. It's without blemish. Integrity implies that there is a sameness between who I am inwardly and what I do outwardly. So then he goes on to say in verse 2, and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. You see, a person with integrity speaks the truth outwardly, but also lives the truth inwardly. There's the sameness. I'm not one person on the outside and another person on the inside. You act the same no matter where you go. Now, the opposite of integrity, obviously, is hypocrisy. There isn't a sameness there. There's not something that's the same on the inside as there is on the outside. I'll illustrate it this way. Our lives should look like a pie. There should be completeness and wholeness to it. But so often, what do we like to do? We like to slice and dice our life, right? We like to say, well, this is how I act when I'm with my family, and this is how I act when I'm with my friends, and this is how I act when I'm at work, this is how I act when I'm at school, this is how I act when I'm at church, right? And so we like to slice and dice our life into all of these different pieces. But listen, you can't do that. Integrity means being truthful in every area of your life. And so today I want us to look at those four characteristics that uh, David talks about here in Psalm 15. And the first one he talks about is a person with integrity doesn't hurt others. Look at verse 3. It says, Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. Nor takes up a reproach against his friend. See, in verse three, there's three warnings. Three warnings about ways that we can hurt other people. So, what are those warnings? Well, the first one is I can hurt others with my words. See, a person of integrity doesn't want to slander with his tongue. If you're a person of integrity, you will find no joy, you will find no pleasure in hurting other people with your words. Now, some of the ways that we can hurt people with our words is what we say to people and what we say about people. We could gossip about people, we could say things to people that are really hurtful to them. And so, as you think about the ways that you're speaking about other people, how do you treat people with your words? Because a person of integrity wants to edify, build up, encourage, strengthen, and not tear people down. And so again, with this being Father's Day, I want to address the dads out there for just a second. Because I want to remind us about how powerful our words can be to our kids. Your words have more power than you could ever imagine. Your kids and my kids will all grow up believing what they hear us say about them. With your words, you have the power to direct the course of their life. You can either affect them in a positive way, uh, edifying them, growing them, encouraging them, setting them up for success, or you have the power to tear them down, demoralize them, leave them feeling damaged and weak. I want to remind all the dads out there that you hold your kids' hearts in your hands, and you need to be careful how you speak to them and what you say to them say about them and what you say to them. So then moving down in verse three, he says, and does no evil to his neighbor. Here's the second warning. I can hurt others with with my actions. But who's the neighbors that he's talking about here? Is he talking about the person you're sitting next to? Is he talking about your next door neighbor? He's talking about anybody you come in contact with throughout the day. See, I wonder how much harm we've caused people through our actions that we're not even aware of. I wonder how often our selfish decisions have harmed others, whether we mean to hurt them or not. I wonder how often our selfish decisions have done that. And we do this because we're sinful people. We hurt one another by the way we act. And so a person with integrity always needs to be asking this question. In my relationships, am I trying to prevent good and produce hurt, or do I want to bring good and bring healing to the relationships that I have? Do we treat people that we come in contact with, with respect? Or do we snub them? Do we talk down to them? See, we need to be reminded that often our actions are more powerful than our words. And then the third warning he gives us in verse 3, he says, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. The warning here is I can hurt others with the attitude of my heart. See, a person of integrity finds no joy in hurting other people with their misfortune. That means you don't see someone else going through something and you go, all right, this is it. Give me the popcorn. I'm ready to watch them get what they deserve. Now, my youngest son, Dawson, he, uh, he's always getting it from the other two boys. He's either getting a beating or he's getting in trouble. That's often what his life is like. And so often, when Dawson either gets the boys in trouble, the other two boys in trouble, or uh, they get hurt because of him, you will always hear him say this That's what you get. That's what he always says to them. They get hurt, that's what you get. They get in trouble, that's what you get. I've heard him yell it from downstairs before in his room, and I have to call him down, and he goes, That's what you get as they're walking down the steps. I wonder how many of us would say, That's what you get when we see someone suffer a misfortune. I read something this week that really kind of brought this and helped me evaluate this in my life. It said, who in your life would you secretly enjoy see fail? Who in your life would you love to see fail? And when I read that, it just hit me because I thought of some people that I would really love to see fail. And that's an issue with my heart. And I had to confess that to the Lord. I had to bring it before Him and apologize for that. Because, see, it's an issue with my own heart. It doesn't matter what somebody said to me or what somebody did to me, it's something within my heart. So, who in your life, deep down in your heart, you've never said it, you've never expressed it, but deep down in your heart, you would just love to see Him fail. You can't genuinely love someone when you secretly hope they would fail. A person with integrity doesn't want to hurt others and finds no joy in hurting others with our words, our actions, or the attitudes of our heart. Here's the second characteristic. A person with integrity desires the things of God. Verse 4 says this, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. A person of integrity desires the things of God. And so there is a hatred toward sin. There is a passion and a desire to see sin gone in our lives and in the lives of others. And then when we open up God's word and we read about sin, we are broken over that sin. We want to see sin gone. And if you're a person of integrity today, there should be a desire in you for the things of God. And when you have a desire for the things of God, there is a hatred for sin because you firsthand know the consequences of sin in your life. You know firsthand the effects and the damage that sin can cause in your life and in the lives of others around you. If you have a hatred for sin, then you will have peace in your life. See, when I lay my head on my pillow at night, I don't have to worry, what if somebody finds out? What if I do this? Or what if they find out about that? Or what if this comes out? You know why I don't have to worry about that? Because I'm taking sin seriously in my life. There is a hatred for sin in my life. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? No, I just told you. There's sin in my life. So I'm constantly confessing that sin, but I am killing sin before it kills me. We need to do that. You need to have a hatred for sin in your life. If you have a hatred for sin, you won't be like, well, what if my boss finds out? I could lose my job. Or what if I'm exposed for doing this thing? You never have to wonder, what if my husband finds out that I've been flirting with this guy at work? Or what happens if my wife finds out that I've been looking at some things that I shouldn't be looking at? What if I get caught? What if someone finds this out in my life? You don't have to have those thoughts because you're killing sin in your life before it kills you. You take sin seriously. And when you take sin seriously, you have peace in your life. There's no fear of getting caught getting found out, or being discovered because you're walking with integrity. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that you're taking sin seriously and you're trying to walk with integrity. Now, the flip side to all of this is I don't know anyone who lays awake at night going, oh man, what if somebody finds out that I love my wife too much today? No one lies awake at night going, oh, I just love my kids too much. Like what's going on? What if they find out that I've told the truth too often? Nobody lies awake at night when they're doing the right thing. You have constant peace in your life when you do the right thing and you take sin seriously. You hate it in your life. Number three, a person with integrity keeps their promises even when it hurts. The last part of verse four says this, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I like how the New Living Translation puts this verse it says this, and keep their promises even when it hurts. See, having integrity means you tell the truth, and that is a constant pattern in your life. If you have a life of integrity, you will gain trust, honor, respect, and influence. See, if you want great children, be a parent of integrity. If you want to be a great leader in your family, be a man of integrity. If you want to have influence wherever you work or go to school or whatever area of life you find yourself in, be a person of integrity and keep your word. I love what Proverbs 25, 14 says. It says, a person who promises a gift but does not give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. If you're a person of integrity, you keep your word. When you say you'll do something, make sure you do it. But if you're always breaking your promise, it can lead to negative effects. For example, if you're breaking your promise to your spouse or to your kids all the time, bitterness can seep into, can ooze into those relationships like poison. Your family and your friends can't trust you if you're constantly breaking your promises to them. The Bible tells us make sure your yes is your yes and your no is your no. You may say, well, you know, my circumstances have changed. Some things have suddenly come up in my life, and that might be true. But integrity means you keep your promises, even if it doesn't benefit you anymore, and even if it costs you more than you think. When people can take you at your word, your reliability will lead to stability. So keep your promises. It may be tough to keep them, but when you do, God will honor that commitment. So we need to be people that keep our promises even when it hurts. And here's the last one. person with integrity loves people. If we are to be people of integrity, the way we spend our money and the way we relate to others matter to God. Look at verse 5. It says, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, again, when David's saying this, it it meant a lot to the people reading this because what he's saying is don't take advantage of other people or hurt them by charging interest. And when he said that, what the people knew at that time was in Jewish culture, if somebody needed to borrow something um, from you, you were allowed to charge interest to foreigners, but to your fellow Jewish people, you were not allowed to charge them interest. And so what this verse is telling us is that money can be used to hurt people in our lives. And so if we want to be people of integrity, the way we use our money matters. And we need to ask ourselves, will we allow God to use our money for his glory? Because we can either help people with our money or we can hurt people with our money. See, I love here at Awaken, we will say that you not only just give to Awaken, you give through Awaken. And I love that because what you're doing is, first of all, you're showing God, hey, I'm honoring you with my money. I'm putting you first in my life. I'm showing my love and devotion to you. But then what you're doing is you're also um, giving to help other people as well. I've had people over the last several months come up to me and say, man, it's been so great. I've come here hurting and lost and confused, but people were excited to see me. The the worship was amazing to me. And then the message just hit me and I knew what was missing in my life. We have seen life change because of the way that we have given through Awaken. Awaken. Because you have been generous, you have been able to create a space, no matter how hot it might be, you've still created a space where people can meet Jesus, where people who are lost and hurting can come to know the Savior who loves them, Amen. the Father who created them and wants to have a relationship with Him. You know, last week we talked that we're starting phase two for our kids. We're going to build out the rest of this building. AC units is on the top of the list, all right? <laughs> But we've talked about how we want to build out that space for our kids because we love our kids and we love the next generation. We want to make sure there's a space for them. We want to make sure that they have a place where they can meet Jesus as well. But not only that, when you give, 10% of everything you give goes out to our ministry partners. If you don't know what our ministry partners are, we uh, partner with Hope Pregnancy Center. And what they do is they come alongside moms and they try to stop abortion. They give them ultrasounds. They try to fill in the gap where a lot of moms can't meet needs. And so they try to meet those needs. And we come alongside of them and help them. We partner with R4One and Mana Cafe, people who are on the front lines helping the homeless in our community. We also have adopted a, a Burt uh, Elementary School. Uh, we, we have a good news club where we bring the good news of Jesus to a bunch of kids who can't drive and who want to come to church. They're starving. They're hungry for the things of Jesus. But we are, telling, we are able to take the gospel to them. But it goes so much outside of just our borders. We partner with Exodus Road. That's trying to stop human trafficking. We also partner with a company called Faith Comes by Hearing. And they translate the Bible into uh, different tribes' tongue and language because we believe that everybody should have the hope of Jesus, that they should understand who Jesus is and why they're here and why they were created. And so you may never be able to go to those places. You may never be able to stop human trafficking. You may not be able to always go and help the homeless. But listen, when you give, that's a spiritual gift. When you give, you're helping people with your money. You have a love for people. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. The Bible teaches us over and over again that we are to show our love by the way we use our money. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can um, run the risk of being greedy instead of being generous. And so people who have, who want to have integrity as people with integrity, we should give our money out with no strings attached. Then he closes this chapter with this promise. He says, and he who does these things shall never be moved. I love this promise from God, because if we live our lives with integrity, we will never be moved. We will never be shaken. I want to close with this story from uh, Samuel's life. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 12. If you want to read it later, you can. But I think this story really kind of summarizes Psalm 15 for us. Because here's Samuel. He's at the end of his life. And he stands up before his community. He stands up before his people. And he says, have I not led you with integrity? Have I wronged any of you? And if I've wronged you, then tell me. Because I want to make it right. Basically, he's saying, free shot. If you got a problem with me, I want to hear it because I want to make it right. If I've done you dirty, then I want to make sure that we've right all those wrongs. And so the crowd looks on and they say, no, you're a man of faith. You're a man of integrity. You've done the right things. You've led us the right way. And I love that because here's the point. I think it would be so great if we could stand up before our family one day and say, Free shot. Did I not lead you the right way? Did I not live this life of integrity? How great would it be that as we move on from our career or we retire, we could stand up before our coworkers and and our boss and we could just and even our friends and just say, free shot. Did I not live a life of integrity? Did my beliefs not match my behavior? So in light of all of this, let's ask ourselves the question that David starts his chapter with. Who can hang in the presence of God? A person with integrity can. Now, don't get this confused. He's not talking about perfection. He didn't say, make sure you're perfect. And if you failed in any of these areas, you can't hang out with God. But what he's getting at is that if your behavior matches your belief, you can walk with God. But what do you do when you realize there's sin in your life? If you're a believer here today, what do you do when you realize that there's a secret sin in your life? That you're holding on to some sins. You haven't fully surrendered them to the Lord. What do you do then? You confess those sins, you make it right, and then you start to fall in love with Jesus. You study his word. You get to know Jesus. You don't get to know him from a distance. Don't get to know him occasionally when you come to church. Truly get to know him because listen, you'll never be able to live a life of integrity on your own. You always have a bent toward sin. if you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus, you think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I've lived a life of integrity. You know, I treat people well. I do the right things. I give to the church. I'll even buy a new AC unit. I'll buy the whole kid's space. I will give my money. I will earn my way into heaven. Listen, that's not how it works. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. You have a sinful nature. And the only way to deal with that sin nature is to get right with God. So if you want to be a person of integrity, if you want to walk closer with God, then have integrity in your life. Amen?